0: Hey, before we begin the show today, many of you who listen to this pod may be in the car right now, or on a plane, bicycle, one of those back-to-the-future-level flying boards that J.R. Smith used to roll with. I saw somebody with one of those the other day. I was like, I thought that was out of style. But, um, but whenever you're traveling frequently, um, which I do a lot, uh, you know how tiring it can be whether it's business or vacation, uh, you need a pick me up. And here's what you should think about. A five-hour energy shot can help you stay alert and energized wherever you may be headed. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life with zero sugar, just four calories, and a convenient portable size. That's a perfect pick-me-up for a busy, hardworking person. And now it comes in two extra strength tropical tastes, strawberry banana and tropical burst. I see Andrew Hahn, you know, chug on the strawberry banana all the time. I mean, he's always bubbling with energy for that reason. They're delicious, and they can take you to a tropical on-the-go experience. Try them both, then go online to shop 5-Hour Energy, as in the number 5, hourenergy.com, and use the code HOOP, H-O-O-P, to receive a one-time offer of 10% off your order. Again, FiveHourEnergy.com. that's the number 5, hourenergy.com, and use the code HOOP to get 10% off your order. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Got a New Englander joining us. Well, Bobby's not a New Englander, but he's in New England. Uh, but first, joining us from Boston, where he was at. This is, uh, by the way, Sunday afternoon, pre-Super Bowl, we're recording this. so Anyway, uh, joining us from Boston, where he was at the 76ers-Celtics game. Last night, a much needed win for the Celtics over the 76ers is Tim Bontemps. Hello, Tim. What's up, Brian? And joining us from Bristol, where he is going to be hunkered down this week during the trade deadline, is our front office insider, Bobby Marks. Bobby, I only have one question, forget about all the trade stuff. How many pairs of shoes did you bring with you to Bristol this week?
1: I brought eight pairs, uh, two big bags, and I've already eaten a double tree cookie. How's that for you? Eight pairs of shoes? (laughs) I'm, I'm an overpacker, Tim. You'll learn that about me. <laughs> I actually, during the summer, because I was in this hotel 50 out of 60 nights, I actually had like a, my own wardrobe closet with all my suits that were here.
0: Yeah. Um, when I, Bobby was just finally leaving. Um, I saw him in New York. Uh, he was finally leaving after the draft and free agency, the crazy free agency that we had. He was finally going home. And he had these enormous suitcases. And I said, Bobby, what is in those suitcases? And how many pairs of shoes did you have for last year's draft and free agency up uh, for that run that you had? Uh, in, about in twelve. The... So this is eight about is About twelve pairs. About, about that?
2: No, I just I, I've known you a long time, time Bobby. I did not know you were. I didn't know you were such a shoe maven. This is this is mind blowing information for me. I'm a shoe oh. guy, and I like the iron also. So there you go. You
1: While you
0: watch him work the, um, the touch screen, moving all these pieces around this week in Bristol, pay special attention to those shoes and know those were picked out special for this week and cultivated. And and you won't <laughs> see the same pair twice, probably. Um, just like an NBA player. Um, so obviously we got the trade deadline coming up. Um, four or five days ago, Bobby, I would have told you I thought this was going to be kind of bland. Maybe it's uh, just the nature of things. Maybe it was the tragedy that we had the last week that was slowing things down. I have felt m- much more quivers in the force the last 72 hours just in, in my conversations. I now am, am modifying my belief that we are going to see a little bit of action uh, leading into Thursday's deadline. Um, what's your feel? Before we get into individual teams, what's your feel um, out there as, as we get ready for this uh, this important week?
1: Well, it's notorious that the week of the trade deadline, when you put a deadline on something, right, guys, that you basically got to show your hand. Like the conversations that teams have had in December during the G League showcase or after New Year's, you know, those were, you know, the foundation. And now it's, it's, now it's about a time, like, you know, either you're going to do a deal or you're not going to do a deal. Either Andre Iguodala is going to get traded or he's going to be an unhappy person in Memphis when they likely don't buy him out of his contract. And so I think, yeah, I think there's going to be um, a pickup here. Um, it, you know, We've only had five trades last year. In total, during the season, we had 29. So um, uh, the interesting thing will be, though, is that is it going to be one of those teams that are going to be in the top six of the Eastern and Western Conference that we already know are locks for the playoffs to kind of shake up things a little bit or is it going to be a team like Oklahoma City who's kind of on the uh, on that seven seed or, or Orlando or Brooklyn um, maybe a team like Phoenix who's trying to get in the playoffs for a while so I do think it will get pick up. I don't think it's going to be like it was last year when there was 29 trades but I do think things will, will pick up this week.
0: Tim you uh, you're highly focused um, on the Atlantic Division but obviously you know what's going on in the whole league um, I feel like the the Eastern Conference, you know, even with what Milwaukee is, it's 41-7. and seven, I still feel like there's some opportunity for some of those teams, you know, to sit there two through five. Um, I feel like this is an opportunity for somebody to take a step forward as a challenger to Milwaukee. Um, do you think that you, we could see that happen in the next four days?
2: Well, here, here to me is the fundamental problem for that. line of of thinking. Well, I agree with you that the East is pretty wide open, and you even go down to Indiana in the sixth seed. I think all six of those teams could make a move to really give themselves a shot. I think the problem is, is you just kind of the those top six teams, I think, kind of encapsulate where the league is at as a whole. Whereas, you look at those teams, and whether it's Philly, or Miami, or Boston, or Toronto, all those teams are kind of stuck in the middle where they might want to make moves, but they don't really have the piece is necessary to get those deals done, whether that is they don't have the contracts or they don't have the draft picks to facilitate the kind of trades they want. Meanwhile, on the other side, like you're talking about, well, these teams could really make a move and get a player to kind of take the next step. Well, who is that player? Who is the guy that's available that those teams can go get? I mean, it doesn't seem like a guy like Drew Holiday is available. Bradley Beal can't be traded. Um, Toronto was looked at as a team back in the the summertime, that if they struggle, maybe a guy like Kyle Lowry would be available. Well, they're second in the East. They're not going to trade him at this point. So to me, I think it's going to be difficult for those teams to make a really game-changing move because both they don't have the contracts to really get to the numbers they need to make that kind of a trade, and I'm just not sure those kind of players are available. It feels to me like the kind of guys that are going to be out there are going to be kind of like moderate-level chess pieces that may be... You're trying to fortify your depth, or you're trying to add an extra rotation player. I don't, I don't think we're going to see like Marcus Saul getting traded like the Raptors did last year, even a Nikola Miritich like the Bucks got last year. I, it just, you know, maybe, maybe a guy like Marcus Morris is that level player to you guys, and I guess he probably is close to Miritich, but it just doesn't seem like the difference making players that are really going to elevate a team, like say a Miami, um, is really available right now to go get.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about some individual teams. Um, a team that I would like to talk about is the Clippers. Um, my feel from talking to people in the league and the Clippers are—they operate in stealth. Um, they're, you know, they—you don't foresee a lot of their moves. Uh, although you can foresee their uh, their Kawhi recruitment nine months in advance, but uh, you don't foresee a lot of their moves um, too easily. Uh, you know the Tobias Harris trade never got public before it came out. Um, Paul George trade uh, stayed stayed private till pretty late. Um, but but my understanding from talking to sources out there is that the Clippers are, are pretty significantly in the market for a, 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 a starting center, um, a big center, uh, a, a true center. They, um, they they they're not sure that the Zubac, Ivica Zubac, is. Um, can get them through a series if they have to play Rudy Gobert or Nikola Jokic. And so they're looking for a starting line center. And that, even though I think that they could use a ball handler or, or, or you know, someone who can create a little bit, um, or even a guy like Andre Iguodala, um, that that's been secondary on their list, that they're looking for a center. Um, Bobby, do you think that there's, do you think the Clippers have the assets? Do you think that they can pull that off? And, you know, uh, do, you, do you, what are you hearing about them?
1: Well, and it, it depends, Brian, also that, you know, who are you willing to move, right? I, I do think, you know, they've got their own first-round pick. And this is the lone year, right, because of that trade with um, with Oklahoma City where you're going to be able to move a first. So that picks in, in, the, late 20, in the late 20s. I, I think the big question for Los Angeles is that they're going to have a, you know, look in a mirror is that regarding Montrezl Harrell, right? I mean, what is going to be the cost to keep him this summer? And are they comfortable paying him? you know 14 15 million dollars for to, for a backup and I think he's a I think he's a specialty player so I think you are right when you said that they are in the market for uh, a center a permanent center a guy that has maybe some length on his um, length on their contract um, you know does it make sense to explore a player like and I know it's not going to be a sexy name but a player like Dwayne Denman in Sacramento Right, who kind of was in the doghouse, had requested a trade, um, has a couple years left on his contract, can kind of give you a little bit of stability at that at that center position here. But um, you're right, though the Clippers do kind of work under under the radar as far as how they go about doing their deals. Um, you know, with their you know take Paul George and Kawhi off the table. Um, now you're looking at you know guys like harrell i don't think lou williams is is you know move, they're not going to move him you've got some of your younger players that you know Landry shama you know who who you know certainly has a good role there you've got the expiring contract of Har- mo-, mo harkless also so yeah, i think mo harkless uh, uh, and jermichael
0: be- green Ge- joe harkless and, and mo harkless Mike- jermichael green and that first round pick um what you know would be movable pieces um the biggest center on the market is Andre Drummond. There's not a lot of, you know, the, the Pistons have not gotten anything going for him. I get, you know, Woj had reported about them talking with uh, the Hawks. That trade kind of went away. The Hawks made another move instead. Tim, could you see Drummond? Could you see that? I mean, it would be hard to pull off because um, it would require multiple pieces to get Drummond. I don't know if you could do a... Th- three or four for one trade, but you know, that would be a hell of a move. And I, I think Drummond's price has, has come pretty far down.
2: Well, it's funny. I'm actually, while we're recording this podcast, the Pistons are in overtime against the Nuggets uh, right now. And Nikola Jokic is going up against Andre Drummond uh, as we're talking. And I, that is a name that, you know, I'm not sure I would say it's been linked to the Clippers, but when you keep talking about the Clippers needing size, to your point, right, like Andre Drummond versus, say, Dwight Howard in the playoffs or Anthony Davis in the playoffs, like all of a sudden the Clippers are not going to be getting beasted around on the boards against the Lakers, right? And I think it's safe to say that as we're talking about the Clippers trying to get size, that's the that's the team that I would say the Clippers are probably most worried about uh, in terms of trying to slow down guys inside. And, you know, if you have Moe Harkless and, you know, either Jermichael Green or Zubac's contract in a trade, you're already pretty close to – the number I think you need to get to to trade for Drummond. I don't think you'd need to go an extra couple pieces beyond that. And to your point, there isn't much interest in him. So I don't know if the Pistons are going to get better than a couple expiring contracts and a late first-round pick. I'm not sure they're going Bobby, to get how, any offers at all. So. Bobby, what's
0: the Pistons' uh, situation with the luxury tax line? I mean, they do not want to be a tax team. There I are
1: 3000 three thousand there, there, there 3, below the tax. Yeah. So, so they, a like, trade that it.
0: would dump money... Would uh would you know would would be incentivized? Not that that's what you're looking for in an Andre Drummond trade.
2: um There's some cons- some of the concern there for them. I think is whether they want to commit to paying Drummond long term, right? Because if he opts out this summer, you potentially lose him for nothing, or you have to commit to him on some kind of a long term deal. Like at this point, they mm-hmm. might take a first round pick just to. Well, kind of the to do only
0: that. thing there would be, you know, Bobby, you you would you have a feel for this, like. As part of the trade, they could ask Drummond to pick up his option. Say, "Hey, you want to come play in LA, play for a championship? Would you pick up your option for next year?" And that would, you know. But I mean, you know, that's pretty far down the line. I'm just Drummond would be an interesting well, name. Here, here's if the Clippers a question: were fish, big fish, honey.
1: And here's a question: I mean, if you're if you're the Clippers and if you, you're the the Pistons, and from from what I've learned is that yes, they have not been able to get a first round pick for for Drummond, and they'll not they won't just trade him just to just to trade him. Is that if, if, you know, and this is a hypothetical here, but if, if, uh, if, uh, the Clippers call and offer you Montrez, Harrell, Zubach, and let's say Mo Harkless for Drummond and the, that pick, which is in the 20s, and I'm just saying, I'm just mentioning those names because that's how you're basically going to get the money to work here, you know, would you do that if you're the Clippers?
0: I don't think I would trade Montrez at all this year. Uh, how much they would pay him this summer and whether or not he fits long term. I think that's a really fair question. I'd not. I would be stunned if they traded Montrez because I think the the thing for the way they play, if you have a front line center that you like that's a that's a legitimate big, you can play big. And then Montrez Harrell is a killer playing against small ball centers. He's one of the best small ball centers in the league right now. And I just think that that gives you a fastball and a curveball. The idea I think is to is to add that to that center rotation. I don't, I'd, I'd be stunned if they traded him. I also think if, I don't think they're, I don't, and that would be an incredible haul for Andrew Drummond. I don't think the Pistons are getting that kind of haul. But, you know, the other, the other name that's been linked to the, uh, Tim, the other name that's been linked to, um, the Clippers is, um, Marcus Morris. Now he's not a center, he's a forward, uh, stretch the floor, hard nosed defender, um, they, were mulling signing him last summer he was on their list if Kawhi had chosen to stay put or go to the Lakers I think he might have ended up being a Clipper um you know the Knicks there's been Knicks signals coming out of there about what would happen there but it seems possible that that Morris could be moved I don't know if the Clippers how serious they are but that's something that uh that's something that is a is an option as well although again not a not a not a straight center
2: well, they've been they've been linked to him for a while. To your point, and that that's a very simple trade, right? That's Mo Harkless and and the first round pick uh almost certainly would be the deal if it happens. And you know, look, I, I think from the Knicks standpoint, it's hard to know what's going on at Two Penn Plaza all the time, as as we all know. However, it would not make much sense at all for me for them not to move on from him and get some some kind of asset back for the future. Continue to try to build around their young guys. And to me, if I'm the Clippers, as much as they do have some concerns about their size in the matchup with the, with the Lakers. I would rather have Marcus Morris if I were them. I think he fits with what they're trying to do. They keep him away from the Lakers as he's a guy who can actually guard, um, you know, go up against a guy like LeBron James or vice versa. If he ended up on the Lakers, he could guard a Kawhi Leonard, you know, decently. He did a decent job against him with the Celtics last year. Um, he could score a little bit. He can shoot, he could shoot the ball. He shot the ball well the last couple of years. So, I personally actually like that fit better, and I think when you 're in the playoff series, the way the league has shifted, I think a guy like Marcus Morris is going to be more valuable to you than a bigger center even if he even if that bigger center might be a better matchup you know specifically against the Lakers
0: um, well, speaking about the Pistons um, there 's been some rumors about Derek Rose uh, potential available um, you know, Derrick Rose is an intriguing player uh, in this sort of second incarnation of Derrick Rose. Um, one of the things that's that's happened to him, he, dating back to his days with the Knicks three years ago, he puts up good numbers and at times looks spectacular. And last year, he had a really a remarkable uh, sort of recovery year with Minnesota. And this year, he's just been terrific. He's he's you know averaging some of the most points he's had since before he got hurt, but. His teams don't tend to play that well when he's on the court. Um and that even dates to when he was with the Cavs for that one year and, and that was a failed experiment. Um it, it makes it hard to judge his value, in my opinion. Um but there's no question that in a half court setting, which is what you see in the in the playoffs, that you are gonna that guy can get you two points. Um Bobby, what do you think the market is uh for Derrick Rose?
1: I I don't see a first for him, Brian. Um, you know, I think the market probably is more of two twos if that's what direction Detroit wants to go in. I mean, he's probably their most, he's probably one of their most valuable trade assets outside of, you know, certainly Luke Kennard, um, and Sekou Dumboya. Um, and he's also got a second year on, a, on that contract at $7.7 million, but it's, it's hard for me to think that, they can get a lottery protect a lottery pick for him. Um, if anything, it would have to be something probably in the late 20s here.
0: Yeah, I would be stunned. To, first off, people are poo-pooing this draft. Um, now, I'm not – I am no Mike Schmitz. I am no Jonathan Gavoni. I cannot tell you what's happening in this draft. It's not part of my, my bandwidth. Um, but, you know, people may be more willing to give late first in this draft because they don't think there's going to be a lot of value there. Um, I don't think they're giving up lottery picks in this draft. Um, uh, Tim, the, the team that I always think about with Derrick Rose is the Lakers. The Lakers have been in the, in the market for another ball handler. Um, Rob Palenka has shown interest in signing Derrick Rose in the past. And the trade there is, you know, it's not a lottery pick, but the trade there is, is Kyle Kuzma. Um, you know, Kuzma is from Flint, Michigan, be a homecoming has high upside um you know we've talked on this podcast quite a bit in recent weeks about whether you would trade kuzma for you know a guy who could have immediate impact but has lower has a lower upside down the road which i think would qualify for this thing um you couldn't do the trade straight up you'd have to include another piece but the lakers have the pieces to do it um you know could you see something i mean could you see the lakers doing a trade like that i i I still wouldn't trade Kyle Kuzma for a, for a defined role player right now, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, opinions out there about that.
2: Well, I mean, again, this to me comes down, this, this comes down to a couple things, right? And to your point about Kuzma, I think the first one is how do you define Kyle Kuzma going forward, right? Um, he's kind of a divisive player on the league. You, you get people who think he's a nice piece off the bench, kind of a good scoring forward off the bench, there's other people who think he can be close to a star-level player. Obviously, if you think the latter, you're not going to want to trade him for a, you know, a 31-year-old point guard who's at this point a good six-man, right? If you think he's kind of a guy that's going to be at, at his best, kind of an off-the-bench piece, then I think trying to upgrade this current Laker team, given LeBron is 35 years old, and there probably is only a defined window for how good for how long they can really have him playing at such an elite level. You have to think about it more now. To me, going beyond that, if you just look at the Lakers as a whole, to your point about them looking for a ball handler, I think they need two things. I think they need a guy who who can create a shot and create shots for others, um, which Derek Rose can do. The other thing they need, and I think is a bigger need, is they need another wing player um, who can guard people and shoot. Because when I look at them, and I saw them a couple times recently against the Lakers, against the Celtics and Sixers. I I feel good about Danny Green, obviously LeBron and AD. Playing in a playoff series, the rest of their guys I don't feel great about. Um, even Danny first, Green
0: is, uh, even though you the guy has rings and you, you trust him, he's kind of feast or
2: famine. That's right. And the, the Raptors you know. last year, the, the Raptors last year saw both of that. Right, like there were stretch long stretches during the playoffs where Danny looked like he never played in a playoff game. He couldn't hit a shot, and you know it was you were kind of like, what is going on with this guy? And then he'd have games where he'd go crazy, and you'd remember that like, yeah, this is a guy who almost won Finals MVP with the Spurs. For shooting like fifty percent over a series from three, so but I still, with all that being said, he's an elite level three and D player, as you said, probably the best one to ever played with LeBron, and I think they need another one. So whether it is the ball handle or it is that wing player, uh, to me, if I'm the Lakers, I, I would if I need to use Kyle Kuzma to get a guy that can maybe get me that much closer to a championship this year. I personally would do it because I'm on the lower end on Kuzma overall. And I think, again, we're talking about with LeBron, you have a limited window of some sorts, right? So if I can get a player who can really help me this year more than a guy like Kuzma, who I don't think is a closing lineup player for them in the playoffs, I think they have to do it. I think the question becomes, is Derrick Rose that player or is that player available? To go back to what I said at the beginning, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to get that kind of guy.
0: Bobby, I mean, this is the type of thing that in front office meetings that you really bat around, like you know what to do in an exact situation like this. This is a type of decision that is, you know, that the general manager really has to gather a lot of information on and make a tough call.
1: Well, and this is this is big for for the Lakers because when you look at their roster and, and the draft picks they have coming out going out in the future, like Kyle Kuzma is like their biggest trade chip, right? I mean, you know, we're not they're not moving LeBron and AD. And then the rest of the roster is a bunch of role players on, you know, team uh, player options for next year. or are going to be expiring contracts, so you know, with with him restricted free agent in two thousand twenty one on a controllable contract, two million, three point six million. Like he's that, like he is your guy. Who, like once you trade him for, if you do a Derrick Rose, like. You basically are kind of, all your, your, your assets are now really depleted here and you better hope that Rose is going to be that guy that can get you to, uh, you know, to win, to win an NBA, NBA championship here. So yeah, that's, that's the big decision that the Lakers have to, to do is that, you know, are they comfortable with this roster right now? What is, 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 is Derek Rose the most they can get for, you know, Kyle Kuzma, um, or vice versa? Um, or you just wait, but the other thing too is that you know you hold on to him and then you, you go now he's on an expiring, then you've got to figure out do you want to extend him what you're not going to do probably because of cap space in twenty one and then he becomes a restricted free agent so it's it is not an easy decision here um, as far, and you're probably getting low ball offers from teams anyway I mean that's just the nature of, of the beast right now yeah
0: i He's a confounding player. I don't think he fits with LeBron and AD, but I would I would not trade him for a 31-year-old. I just wouldn't. Who shoots 31% from 3? I know he's his three-point shooting has improved, but um, I just don't know if that's the player and I'm not saying that's their only option. That's just you know, that's certainly an option that they they possibly could have. <laughs> Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and if you want to look spiffy for the big night out, Sport Clips should be one of the first stops you make. Sport Clips makes it more convenient than ever to get a haircut, and you can now enjoy online check-in and some other features from Sport Clips' website by simply speaking to your Amazon Alexa or Google Nest. And this way, you can save time by getting in line before you even leave the house to head to Sport Clips for your next haircut. You also get to see cool TV and exclude some ESPN while you're there, and Enjoying your haircut sport clips. You choose the cut. They cut the weight. Tim, I want to go to your neck of the woods. I think a team that really has to do something is the 76ers. You know, I, I watched the bucks play the nuggets on um, Friday night. Nuggets won. That game it was a tremendous win for them. They had gotten in at three in the morning, um, off a win over Utah at home. They'd missing, missing, uh, their starting backcourt. Um, and they beat the bucks in Milwaukee. Um, and the thing about the Bucks is, and I think that you know the Bucks may have to address this if they can as well. But um, the way that they play defense, they really protect the paint, and it's worked great for them. You know, they're they're playing a game right now, but they're coming into the game with forty-one and seven. You're forty-one and seven. You got a lot going for you. They've had the number one or number two ranked defense all year long. But the way they play defense, they really defend the interior. You can get three pointers. Against Milwaukee um, and that 's what happened and in fact that 's what 's happened in the majority of their losses is they were basically uh taken to the woodshed in the three point game um, Denver hit twenty three three pointers I think in that game, and if you 're going to form a game plan about how to you know deal with that beast you 've got to be able to hit those outside shots and we know that that 's philly 's big weakness, and Philly has got to be thinking about uh, you know trying to beat Milwaukee. Tim, they've got to find shooting somewhere. They, I don't care if it's a small deal just for a seventh man. I feel like they've got to find any shooter they can.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree, Brian. And to your point about the Bucs, on Christmas Day, when the Sixers played them and, and destroyed them in Philly, they hit a ton of threes in that game, right? Like that—that that is that is the way to beat the Bucs. We saw the, the Raptors do that last year. And to your point... The Sixers sometimes hit a lot of shots. Most of the time, though, they're doing what they did against the Celtics Saturday night, and they're bricking them all over the place. Um, I think the question there is, again, to go back to the beginning, what do they have to trade? Like, their main piece, they have their pick this year, and they have uh, their 2018 first-round pick, Zaire Smith, who has, from everybody I've talked to around the league, virtually no value. Um, he had a lost year last year. had a weird allergy reaction. Just a, I think peanuts or something. Lost a bunch of weight. He broke his foot. He basically didn't play this year. He's played two or three games, um, and, and just nobody has any interest in him. So, and they don't have any salaries to trade. They really, even if they combine him and Mike Scott, which is really their only realistic trade package in terms of aggregating salaries, that still can only get them to about ten million dollars worth of a player. So, you know, maybe they can move a Zaire Smith for a, a smaller piece, whether it's a guy like Malik Beasley or Denzel Valentine or some other like you know, ancillary piece off the bench, but it's hard for me to see how they're going to get a real impact level shooter. That's better than even a guy like Furkan Korkmaz who is shooting 40% off the bench for them now, but can't really guard in the playoffs. So they're going to do something I'm sure to to deepen their bench, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to add the kind of piece that I think they need to, um, to make the kind of run they want.
0: One of the complicating situations that they've got is that as of this exact moment that we're talking, they're in sixth place. Okay. They are 22 and two at home and nine and 17 on the road. Now, you know, they've had injuries and all these things, but that, I don't know if they're going to flop things around. They're, they're dominant at home and, and, you know, subpar on the road. Well, where they're at right now, granted, there's the, the, it's still kind of tight, but they're, they're three games back of the four seat, you know, and, if they finish five or six, that means that they're going to potentially be the best home team in the league. You know, they've even got a better home record than Milwaukee at this point. Um, and potentially not have home court advantage in any round. So, you know, they, they also need to worry about their seed, Tim, don't you think? I mean, not, not that seeding is everything, but, you know, when you have a, when you're, when you're great at home and bad on the road, it, it starts to matter a little bit more.
2: It arguably matters to them more than any other team in the league. Having seen them in Philly a lot, they just obliterate teams at home. They they play on a lot of emotion and a lot of energy, and when they get Ben Simmons and Matisse Thybulle out there flying around on defense and the crowd is jacked up, they look like they could beat anybody in the league by 30. And then they go on the road and they just constantly lay eggs. They lose in Atlanta on Thursday. They played terrible. Last night, they got their doors blown off. They were down 22-8, to eight, two minutes into the game it felt like. Um, they never really had a chance. And to your point about the standings, look, they're already four back in the loss column of Boston and Miami in third and fourth. And they're nine and seventeen on the road, to your point. If they lose in Miami on Monday and in Milwaukee on Thursday, which is probably more more than likely to do in both cases, they're going to be six back in the loss column with thirty games to go. Like they're going to have to they'd have to go like probably twenty five and five to get home court advantage in the first round at that point. So if they lose these two games, you could probably write off their chances of having home court in the first round. I don't away. know if I go
0: that far, but your but your point is Listen, well man, taken. Six
2: six games and f- six games back with thirty games to play, you're talking a ten percent chance probably of passing one of those teams. Like something really drastic would have to happen. So to your point, like th- this is this is really pretty critical times for them. Like they really needed to win at least two of these games, I think, in this swing against these top teams in the East, because if they're gonna start a series on the road against, say, Boston in the first round, um, or Miami, who's twenty-one and three at home, they're going to have a tough time even getting out of the first round, let alone doing what they expected to do coming into the season, which is, you know, contend for the NBA Finals and potentially win a title.
0: So, Bobby, um, you know, can the Sixers do anything before Thursday that you think could really materially change their scenario? They've they've made good midseason moves before, but that Elton Brand is. Uh... Elton Brand is, you know, he, you know, last year he made two giant trades midseason, but uh, Elton Brand's not afraid to make big moves, but I don't know what he can do.
1: No, I mean, you if you look at at the roster, and if we're, you know, Simmons, of course, because of that poison pill, and you know, you're not going to make any drastic move in Embiid. I mean, I think you probably have a little bit buyers' remorse, probably with Al Horford right now, but I mean, that's a big number to even entertain. That's probably something in the off season, and, and the same with Tobias Harris. I mean, you've got four, you got four seconds. In this year's draft, two of them are in the in, in the thirties. So, you know, I think thirty-two and thirty-three right now. You know, does what is what is that? And as you guys mentioned, the, the combination of Mike Smith, uh, Mike Scott, and Zaire Smith get you. You know, can you get a, an eleven to twelve million dollar player? Does you know? We'll circle back to the Robert Covingtons of the world, right? Does that help you? Does um, you know? Would even Minnesota entertain? second round picks for him. Um but the interesting thing with their with them being on their road record is that this team has not been a good road team for the last 3 years, right? I mean they were uh I think they were one game under 500 last year. They were 22 in 19 and in 17 18 and now where they are this year they're the worst team of any of the above 500 teams in the NBA. And it will come back and bite them when we get to to mid-April if they are sitting in in that sixth seed. And and you know what will happen guys, and I'm not I'm not speculating. I'm not saying I know inside information, but being in a front office for a long time, the full guy is eventually going to be the head coach here, right? I mean, that is going to be the, because you cannot fire the players, and Elton Brand is not going to fire himself. So that is going. The microscope is going to be on on the head coach Brett Brown if this team does not get out of the first round.
0: Well, obviously there's a there's a there's there's an issue with fit between Simmons and Embiid. They have locked them into long-term contracts before you would entertain moving one of them. I believe that what would probably happen is they would try to see if another coach could, could get them working better together. Um, I don't know if they can, and I can't see the future. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll have an incredible run to finish. Maybe they will go 25 and five, Tim. They might, Um, but, but, um, you know, they still have a big West coast trip in March, uh, and they're a bad, they're a bad road team. So, factor that in as well um you know they've got a, I know they've got a, a big national tv game i think on a saturday night in l in l.a against the lakers and, and yep. stuff like that so um bobby you mentioned uh covington in minnesota they have now lost 11 games in a row they are flat out putrid um carl towns is back but they are still losing people have the, you know they've
1: they've Back
2: There's to being bad. <laughs> can I can I give can I can I interrupt you for a second to give an unbelievable stat, Brian? The last time the Wolves won a game that Carl Towns played in was before Thanksgiving. Good God! They've had it's two. Now Fe, it's now February. Just for people remember,
0: <laughs> they've had two. Um, they've had two ten game losing streaks this uh, this season. Forget about just before Thursday, Bobby. What do you do? What do you do, Bobby?
1: Well, I've always said that this was like kind of the audit, right, for Gerson Roses. They're headed off basketball. You kind of just sit back and watch. But man, losing eats at you. I mean, it really does. I mean, I mean, how how much more can you can you take of it? I mean, especially you got off to a pretty decent start here, but you've already traded Jeff Teague, which is one of your big um, your big expiring contracts. I don't. That was know, I a do not bizarre see, trade. I, I don't understand that. I and I, I don't. I didn't understand what Alan Crabb did for you because if you wanted to f- to flip it, I, Jeff Teague I think has more value than Alan Crabbe. um and then D'Angelo Russell is not in play, I don't believe, right now. You know, I don't. I I, I would be surprised if, if Golden State did something by Thursday. Um, so you you have no point guard, right? You have Shabazz Napier who's handling point guard duties right now, um, and your roster is a mixed bag of you know Josh Okoji who's a nice player, Jared Cul- Culver, who's you know it could be a nice player down the road, but you got a lot of minimum guys on this team. Um, Andrew Wiggins, as I mentioned, has reverted back to being not good. Um, you know, I think we had the hype machine for him because he was like most improved for the first 10 games on a max contract. Um, and then you have Covington. So what do you, do you want to do something with him now? Or do you want to do something with him? You know, come, come July. I, I just get nervous with Robert Covington because his, he's got a, his injury history is not, um, uh, is not very sh- uh, good here. And what is Robert Covington? Just be- there's be like- red flags. Oh, there's red yeah. flags on him. There's yeah. concerns. There, are, there is concern. As great of a contract he has, teams aren't going to take you know 12 and $13 million for the next two years if a guy has a bad knee or if there's an injury there.
2: It's also part of the reason yeah. why we've heard his name come up time and again really since the moment Gerson got the job, right? I mean, going back to the draft, there was talk about him being involved in deals, and really ever since then his name so, has come so, up, and that's that's probably a big reason why.
0: So, Bobby, Wiggins... Do you think if to trade Wiggins, that they would have to incentivize, in other words, attach an asset with Wiggins? And if so, do you think that could happen?
1: I think you have to attach something to Andrew Wiggins now. Yeah, I do. I, okay. I think that's a big, that's, that's a, yeah, I mean, 29, 32, and
2: 33 million in the next three years. Yeah, I think you that's. Know. I've had executives say to me that the price to take Wiggins would be two first-round picks.
1: Usually it doesn't work. It usually doesn't work that way, guys. When you sign a guy to a rookie max that's contract, true. that you've got well, to take, right. That's one of the issues.
0: Them. That's one of the issues in Cleveland with Kevin Love. Now I'm going to tell you something. Cleveland should be thankful that Minnesota is so bad right now, and whatever attention is being paid to the bad teams, because Cleveland has been horrible for the last three weeks. They've lost nine of ten. Um, they got absolutely blown off their home court. Saturday night by the Warriors who I don't know if you are aware stink. Okay. <laughs> the Warriors were 3 and 22 on the road and they blasted the Cavs. Kevin Love's Kevin Love went on a little bit of a a period where he actually was pretending to care about defense. He had completely reverted. He is he absolutely kills them on the defensive end. You can tell that they really need, I mean, love is, he is just short of wearing a, a sign around his neck, trade me. Um, <laughs> but that's is the problem. The, the Cavs see love, like when I've talked to executives within the last three days, they've told me that the Cavs, if you call the Cavs about love, they want multiple picks for him. Um, you know, at least one first and then maybe a second. And if it's not a multiple picks, they want another young player. And I have people saying that it's a Wiggins type situation, not as much, but that you would have to, if you wanted love, you'd have to incentivize and actually attach an asset to move love. And so when you have scenarios like that where there's just such a vast difference, it's it's hard to think of moving such money, uh, Tim. I I don't know if... I just don't know if it can happen unless there's a major change in the situation. And I, I mean, I, I know that it would be better for all parties. The Cavs have young players who so they're trying to, um, show the way to play the game. And you've got, you know, your highest paid player out there being a joke on defense, uh, you know, snapping at the coach, uh, attacking the coach, uh, snapping at the general manager, basically begging to get suspended and traded and then not disciplining him. I mean, I understand why well, you have to move him, but, I I just don't see how that's going to happen. I'm not privy to all their discussions, but.
2: Right. No, 100%. I mean, look, this goes back to, like, the other thing that's holding up this trade deadline is guys like Kevin Love, guys like Chris Paul, though I'm not sure the Thunder is willing to move them now. The reason those guys are less appealing to teams than maybe their talent would typically dictate is because a lot of these teams have interest in, as Bobby mentioned earlier, 2021 cap space. And these contracts go into and beyond that and if you trade for, if you're Miami and you trade for Chris Paul, even if you just give up expiring contracts, Kevin Love, you just give up, you know, Deion Waiters and James Johnson and Kendrick Nunn, say, right? You don't even give up a pick. You're still eliminating yourself from being in the mix in 2021 for agency at all by taking on 30 or $40 million that yeah. summer in Kevin Love or Chris Paul. So beyond the fact that there's questions about a guy like Kevin Love who's 30, 31, has had some injury issues, doesn't necessarily fit in the modern game. Uh, with his style of play, obviously he's not a great defensive player even when he's fully committed. Unlike necessarily situations, and now you add in the contract on top of it, and uh, it's just you know maybe a team like Portland would be willing to do something. Maybe a team like Bobby said earlier, Phoenix. I have thought is maybe a potential Kevin Love destination because they're you know they're maybe trying to make the playoffs and get some good young get some good talent around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and some of their other young guys, but it just seems more than likely that he's going to be stuck there and this situation in Cleveland. just only going to get worse until at least the summer, if not beyond.
0: Yeah. You know, and speaking about Cleveland, um, I, I, they have interest in Tristan Thompson. They could probably trade Tristan pretty easily by, by Thursday. But uh, from what I understand that, you know, they're being offered, you know, second round picks for him. And, uh, um, you know, the Cavs, I think, are somewhat interested in extending Tristan Thompson, Bobby. Um, I think there's interest on both sides. You know, you wouldn't want to just sort of quote unquote give him away for a second round pick. The challenge there is when a guy is in his prime years, which Tristan is, even with the scenario about centers and their value in the NBA, I mean, Tristan would have to take a pay cut. I, I don't see the Cavs keeping him at the $18 million level that he's at right now. And I can just tell you, um, 17 years I've been covering the league, I've seen lots of guys take pay cuts. You don't see it too often when it's, uh, staying with the same team. You know, yes, there's these, um, you know, these uh, rare scenarios like Dirk Nowitzki and Dwayne Wade when they're the franchise player and they've already made hundreds of millions, you know, they'll come down to, to help the team. Very rarely do you see a guy in the middle of his career willing to take a pay cut and stay with the same team. So while I think that there is interest in doing the extension there, um, it might be hard to hammer out a deal. And I don't know, you know, what the Cavs would do there. But you know, I, you know, I just don't think there, I think there's a market for Tristan. I just don't know if they're going they can get a first that that they want. I'm sure they want a first.
1: Well, and especially take a pay cut, Brian, and and be stuck with like two or three more lean years, right? Like I, I don't see the end, like the the light at the end of the tunnel with this group here. Um, I mean, you've got John Beeline talking that he doesn't like to make adjustments at halftime. Um, you've got four guys that you've drafted in the first round the last two years, and I, I hate to put the rising star game as a barometer as far as how you draft, but you've got one guy as a representative, right? In Colin Sexton here. So I, he didn't I mean, make the it,
0: rising stars team. Sexton didn't make it. No, nope. it was much much consternation.
1: Oh goodness gracious! Well, goodness, jeez. <laughs> I mean, the Rising Stars team. Everybody's complaining. Can we, can about we
2: take? It. Can we? T- I was going to say, can we take a moment to just revel in the fact that the, the Rising Stars challenge has become the most controversial thing in the history of the sport. The past twenty four hours, well, like, the number the of people complaining it, about this is amazing.
0: It's problematic because you know there's a and there's a U.S. team and a world team, and so some years you're going to have you know Luka Doncic for example is on the rising stars world team that's a pretty much of a no brainer but you know there's you know there's there's some slots that have to be filled etc um it's not always going to be perfect when you have you know you're not going to always have the you know the best 20 players or 24 or whatever it is because of filling that out but yes there's been nuts much much consternation uh, Jackson Hayes got profane on on his. I don't know if that was Instagram or Twitter when he didn't make it. I mean, he's averaging eight points and four rebounds, and his teammate, Zion Williamson, made it. Uh, I don't know what his. I don't know what he's. I don't know. Does he want, does he want his teammate not to make it? Does he. I don't know. Anyway, uh, no. I mean, uh, they've got two picks, two top eight picks, uh, Sexton and Garland, and neither one of them are. You know, I guess Sexton's putting up good numbers, but I wouldn't say he's blowing the doors off anybody, but, uh,. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a, it's a fair point. you know, Tristan is eligible to for a no trade clause, but there's no way the Cavs would put that in the deal. They they're, they're signing him to
2: potentially trade him. So, right. Um, one one potential Tristan Thompson thought that I just had while we were talking. We're I mean, when we're, we're talking about the Clippers before and Andre Drummond, to me, Tristan would be a really interesting fit with the Clippers. And even if you had him as kind of a one-two punch with Harold, where Tristan could play against bigger guys. Um, he would be. An, I think he'd be an interesting piece there, and, and obviously, with his salary, the number would be a lot easier to get to than than Andre would as well.
0: Well, that's true. I've not heard that, but um, uh, that'll be interesting. We'll see what, what Cleveland does, and I think Cleveland also has two open roster spots, right, Bobby? Yeah,
1: they have so, two guys on 10 days right now.
0: Um, they're, they're pretty close to the to the luxury tax, but I know that they have shown interest. They are willing to take on money for the twenty twenty season. I'm sorry 2020 2021 next year uh they're willing to take on some money if they're incentivized um uh, I don't know if there's many of those types of trades out there they've been making those trades for 2 years now they just made another one with uh, Dante Exum when they sent out Jordan Clarkson they you know so if there's if there's a team that dumps money for next year the place to dump it could be Cleveland I just don't know if um if that if that happens uh but that happens now or if it happens later I consider this big news, Andrew Hahn. McDonald's is now providing McChicken breakfast sandwiches as part of their breakfast menu. And look, we all have some lame breakfasts when we're on the go. Those beige, plastic-wrapped, brick-shaped protein bars, day-old donuts, frozen breakfast trays, not your finest moments. Um, But now, McChicken sandwiches, right there. Why ever go back to the old breakfast life? It's a breakfast worth getting up for. It's time to change your life for breakfast. Buttery crispy McChicken biscuits and savory sweet chicken McGriddles. Freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. That's how you wake up breakfast. At participating restaurants for a limited time. Tim, you mentioned Portland. Lillard did it again last night. Unbelievable. Um, If you listen to this podcast, he had 51 last night. If you listen to this podcast the other day, I went on a rant about how we should be paying more attention to Damien Lillard. It's complicated right now with the uh, events of the last week for sure. Um this are these are his stats for the last 6 games. 48.8 points. I, I this is Will Chamberlain type stuff. 49 points a game. 10.2 assists per game. And he's shooting 57% on three-pointers in that span and he's shooting something crazy like 60% um outside 30 feet. Uh, in that span, Logo Lillard in full effect. Now, it's hard for me to come to terms. You know, last year I was in the conference final. I was at the conference finals, and I was so disappointed with both the lack of of ingenuity that the Blazers had in in freeing him, and the lack of Dame's ability to deal with the challenge that the Warriors were were throwing at him. It could have just been fatigue. Um, I was so disappointed with him in the conference finals, but my God, has he been unbelievable! And the Blazers, um, uh, let's see how close they are right now. They're they've gotten, to, they've gotten themselves to they've got themselves to ninth, a game and a half back at this moment of the eighth playoff seed. Um, they already made one trade, Bobby, by picking up Trevor Ariza. Uh, you know they're you know Nurkic is who's
1: been really good. Yep. Yeah,
0: Nur Nurkic is. Uh, I don't think Nurkic is coming back till after the All-Star break. I know that he's starting to do some workout, but I, I don't think he's that close. Um, but they're going to get Nurkic at some point. Um, what uh, is there, you know, if you're Portland and you're seeing Dame play like this, you know, how are you reacting? Are you, are you looking for something else? I mean, what are you going to do, Bobby, if you're them?
1: Well, I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can say like, well, we need more help for him, right? Because he's, you know, this is kind of the recipe, the formula, how we're going to, we have to win games where we're scoring 40 more points, you know, or we could say like, well, how much help will, you know, if we do get help for him, does, does Dame revert back to a guy that's going to give you 25 to 30 and kind of, you know, um, you know, goes against how we, how we play. So, I mean, you, you look at, you know, you look at their roster, they're big, the big, you know, trade pieces is, is Hassan Whiteside, right? I mean, $27.1 million. Um, you, you already traded Kent Bazemore. You got Trevor Ariza. Um, I don't see any of the young kids, you know, moving um, moving the needle. You know, Anthony Simon's certainly some, got some, you know, potential there. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, but Neil O'Shea is aggressive when it comes he acquired Rodney Hood last year at the deadline. he already made the trade this year. Um, you have all your first round picks here. Um, is it a matter of just staying pat and letting Memphis, who's in eight right now, kind of come back to the field, which I think certainly um, certainly could be
2: well to me bobby the the thing I'd be curious from with your experience on this front, the thing that would be interesting to me if I was Portland was trying to get pieces that could also help me next year right like they they're not going to have a lot of cap space. Next year, <laughs> um, their payroll is a mess. Well, even if even if they just let Whiteside, if they let Whiteside expire and they they cut RISA, I think they'll have they they could have a little bit of money, but not a lot. But um, do you, isn't isn't a calc- isn't one of the calculations they have to decide on here um, whether they could find a piece, whether it's somebody they could extend or somebody that had, like say Covington or some guy like that that's under contract that they could say, look, maybe this guy can help us get into the playoffs this year, but more importantly when we go into next year and we have, in theory, our whole, our whole healthy team with Zach Collins back, with Yusuf Nurkic back, with these young guys being a year older, that this is a guy who can help us you know, make a run to maybe get back to where we were last year again. You're right. I mean,
1: once if you don't bring back Whiteside and with Ariza or without Ariza, you really don't have much flexibility here. So the, the, what the mindset or the goal is is to try to turn that Whiteside contract into something that has length and also has value. So that kind of goes into twenty twenty one or twenty one twenty two. That can um, that can help you because, as Brian mentioned, like yeah, your books are you know you've you've committed you know by twenty one twenty two you've committed seventy three million dollars to your Mm backcourt. And if CJ McCollum is not somebody you want to move down the road, then this is kind of who you are. You're relying on draft picks. You're relying on. uh, minimums and they missed out on, I think, some minimums this year with Hazonia and Tolliver, who hadn't, you know, had not been very good for them. So that's what you you try to take that whiteside contract and break it up into two pieces. So you know, hypothetically, if you go to, um, Minnesota and say, would you do G- uh, Gorji Jang and Robert Covington in a lottery protected top 10 pick? Is that enough to pique their interest? You know, those are the type of deals that you would have to look at.
0: Yeah, um, you know, obviously people are probably saying, well, what about Kevin Love? What about Kevin Love, Portland kid? I mean, uh, I don't have up to this very second information. I wish I did. I wish I had the phones tapped. But the last time I checked in there, I didn't think there was a big appetite uh, to do that deal. Um, they really like Zach Collins there, they really like Nurkic. Um, um, all right, one last thing I want to do before we leave. Um, Bobby, there's a couple of teams that are pretty close to the tax, and you know we're going to definitely see some money deals. Um, two teams I want to bring up. One is the Golden State Warriors. With that Willie Cauley-Stein trade, um, they're actually within shouting distance of getting out of the tax. I think they're a little under $4 million. Um, and the other team would be the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are competing for the playoffs and are pretty close to getting out of the tax um, what do you think the feasibility of either of those teams making a deal to get out of the tax uh, by Thursday?
1: Well, with the Thunder, well, first the the distribution is not high right now, so we've got we've got five teams in the tax: Golden State, Houston, Miami, OKC, and Portland. And there's really there's thirty five, thirty six million dollars in the pot, and when you, when you split that in half, it's it's eighteen. It's um, 18 million that's going out. So it's not a lot of money that teams are getting back, you know, 715000 So when you look at, uh, we'll start with Oklahoma City, there are $801,000, above, you know, above the tax year. I mean, you're looking at, do you want to move? Guys like Mike Muscala, who's on a minimum, um, you know, Deontay Burton, guys like that. Those are kind of your cash type deals. They took back that Isaiah Roby contract. He's got, you know, a couple of years left. So I don't think Brian is just talking with people around the league. There's a big appetite for OKC to get under, but there is certainly a path to, to do that if they, if they want to when, with, with, um, with Golden State, the Colley-Stein trade, yeah, helped him in, in a lot of different ways. You know, got him a second it um, gave him some buffer, a buffer below the hard cap, which we, we've talked about at length during the year. And now they're $3.7 million, um, below the um, above the tax. So the, really the only way for them to get out um, would be kind of like a Kevon Looney type contract. And I don't see how much he's been injured all year. Um, and he's got 4-4, four, 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 and 5-2 left on his, on his deal. Um I think there's a lot of value though for guys like Alec Burks. I think there's value for Glenn Robinson um, if you were looking to try to flip those guys for seconds if they want to do that. But I think Golden State you will you will see them probably end the season in the luxury tax, but considerable where we where they were would have been right. We talked about with with Durant and and um, if Durant was come back how much that was going to be, but. As you've written about, that that arena pumps out money.
0: <laughs> I mean, so when we're well, talking here's, about Well, here's what i say about here's what I'll say about the tax, Tim. Everything that Bobby said made 100% sense. There, it's very sage wisdom. Here's what my experience tells me: never underestimate an owner's interest in getting out of the tax, even if you give yep. me 100 different reasons why it doesn't matter. So, it wouldn't surprise me if we see one of those two teams. You know, I'm not saying for sure, but. Wouldn't surprise me if we see a move by one of those two teams, even if uh, if, if it's Golden State just lowering their tax bill. But um, well, yes, I realize too, that too Brian, money.
1: having worked for a team that was a notorious luxury tax paying team. Yes, um, and <laughs> although your owners are billionaires, it is not a good feeling for them when they cut that check in August for five million or ten million or twenty five million dollars. So I am sure Joe Lakeup. And um, Golden State is asking Bob Myers, hey, how can we save another $3 million or $4 million because our tax bill right now is at 9.3? Yeah. Um, all right, uh, gentlemen, I really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of uh,
0: information here. Like I said, I have now swung around thinking we're going to have a lot to talk about this week coming up, and we'll be talking about it. Andrew, we're doing a podcast after the trade deadline. Is that right? So. The next time we talk uh, will be after the deadline, and we'll have, hopefully, a lot to talk about. It uh, wouldn't surprise me if we see a uh, a sneaky big move come in here that we weren't expecting. Uh, could happen. Let's wait and see. Uh, thanks for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Everyone have a good week.